daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. How's it going? Welcome to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show from Sports Social. And this morning we wake up to the top of the Premier League table being separated by goal difference yet again. All eyes were on Liverpool last night as they found a way past Aston Villa to keep the pressure on league leaders Manchester City, who have a tricky test at Wolves tonight themselves. I make it 11 days to go until the end of the season, and what a roller coaster of a campaign it's been. Everton were dead and buried two weeks ago, now they're out of danger, for now at least, and they can extend their cushion from the bottom three when they play already relegated Watford tonight. Lampard's success has come at Leeds' expense. Jesse Marsh's side below that critical dotted line, and they have Chelsea to play tonight at Ellen Road. So much action to get through with four top flight tussles tonight, as well as yesterday's affair at Villa Park. So let's not hang around. My name's Niall and with me today, two voices from either side of the city of Manchester, Joel Tudor and Matt Pitter with me. Morning, boys. Morning, Niall. Morning, guys. I'm sure we'll come on to Manchester City a little bit later, Matt. But first of all, the big news dominating the back pages is Erling Haaland signing for Manchester City. What do you make of that, mate? Well, 51 million plus his add-ons, um, 85 goals in 88 games for Dortmund and the youngest ever player to reach 20 goals in the Champions League. He's only 21 years old. He's actually younger than Phil Foden. was brought up as a City fan, you know, watched us win trophies at Wembley with his dad who captained the club. He's got every single attribute you want from a natural centre-forward. He feels like the missing piece of the jigsaw for us now. Um, he's perfect for City and City is perfect for him. What about you, Joel? Does that strike fear into you as a red? I mean, I've, I've got no energy left from this season. I can't even lie. It's just this off, water off a duck's back at the moment. But yeah, I mean, I think last season this is the this this is the transfer that should have been done last year with, with Kane, and then they went for Grealish, which was kind of baffling to me. But I think, like um, like Matt said, it's just the thing. The, it's the centrepiece of the, the living room, isn't it, that they've been missing for quite a long time, considering the fact that they've been playing without a striker for quite a while as well. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's a sure fit still because, I mean, every player that's come from the Bundesliga seems to have a very, very difficult adaptation period. So I, think, I don't think it's going to go off straight away, but, I mean, he's a bit of a different animal compared to anyone who's come over from the Bundesliga. So I'd imagine he would hit the ground running at some point. We'll wait and see what happens with Erling Haaland. We'll talk about City later on when they take on Wolverhampton Wanderers. Matt will be there, but before we do that, let's take in some action from last night. Aston Villa 1, Liverpool 2, the final score in the Premier League at Villa Park. The sole game yesterday, and Aston Villa started brightly. In fact, I think they're in the lead after just three minutes. And for a period in that first half, Matt, it did look like Liverpool would end up slipping up a game. Yeah, they looked very shaky for the first 20 minutes or so. Um, uh, daft, like, back passes from, like, Alisson to Ollie Watkins, nearly, you know, putting his team even further behind. Um, three minutes gone, like you said. Douglas Louise puts Aston Villa 1-0 up. Um, then, you know, Fabinho pretty much hit back straight away. It felt like the tide was turning straight away to Liverpool, but it, didn't, it wasn't that way because Ings had a chance. Ings could have put them 2-1 up, but he didn't. Um, but Liverpool have just done what they've done pretty much most of this season, just ride the storm. Um, you know, Villa didn't help themselves in places, but you know it was good work by Luis Diaz on the uh, on the left to give it to Mane, who you know stooped down, put his header in the corner, two one. Um, and it wasn't really it wasn't really much after that, to be honest. Um, Liverpool pretty much controlled the game after that. They was under a lot of pressure because it was a must win for them. I mean, every game's a must win for the moment, really, isn't it? But you know, with 
if they would have dropped points after that, you could you could say that the league was pretty much done and dusted at that point. But like we were saying before, City have got to go to Molyneux tonight and you know and win. So yeah, it's over to us tonight. And uh, yeah, fair play to Liverpool there. You mentioned Liverpool looking a bit shaky, Matt. I mean, that first goal that Aston Villa scored is a is a great example of that because I like the shot that the broadcasters took of Jurgen Klopp stood in the dugout. Uh, after Aston Villa scored, as if to say, what the hell just happened there? I mean, Allison doesn't exactly save it uh, away from his goal. He kind of just pats it down into a danger zone. You've got Simicass and another defender falling over each other. Uh, Louise gets two bites of the cherry. It, it just seemed like a, a synopsis of maybe a little bit of nerves and shakiness from Liverpool in that first three minutes. Yeah, because coming off the back of dropping points against Spurs in what was a huge game for them, so. Villa was never going to make it easy for them last night. They had you know, a full house at Villa Park. The atmosphere was decent. And Villa came out aggressive. And sometimes you've got to do that against Liverpool because that's exactly what they do to you. You've got to try and match them with that. If you sit back and let Liverpool keep the ball and you know, and pressure, you're going to come unstuck very, very quickly against them. So fair play to Villa for trying to go toe-to-toe with them there. But like you said, they fell asleep for the Fabinho goal. It was quite similar in that respect. Just, you know, daft defending. Um, I don't know what Jonathan Moss was doing last night, by the way, but he had a terrible, he had, <laughs> he had, he had a terrible game last night. And, and you know, even even some Liverpool fans were going, what's going on here? Do you know what I mean? It, I mean, coming off the back of certain comments from certain Manchester City managers, you know, it doesn't look good in that in that respect. But, yeah, um, sometimes the, the standard of refereeing in this country in games like that, you know, it can be a bit of a joke, but... Yeah, he'll still have a job next season, Jonathan Moss. And um, well, he yeah. won't because he's retiring. Always, always, always retire. Oh yeah, he's retiring, isn't he? Yeah, thank, he's well, retiring, thank God for that. Yeah. <laughs> thank God and well, for someone that. asked Stephen Gerrard about the referee's performance in the post-match press conference after the two-one defeat, and he said, "Listen, Liverpool scored twice." We need to look at ourselves and why we conceded those goals. And I don't want to try and paper over any cracks or come up with excuses, but I hope the referee's performance is looked into. And then another reporter went, well, John Moss is actually retiring at the end of the season. And Stephen Gerrard just went, is he? Good. And that was it, you know. Um, So it's not the first time that the standard of refereeing has been questioned this season and indeed over the last few years. Joel, I mean... Yes, it was a poor performance from the referee. Yes, he's a, a referee who's moving on. But in general, the standards have been pretty pretty poor, haven't they? They've left a fair bit to be desired. Yeah, and I think the worst part is the fact that every single manager feels as though they're censored when it comes to actually giving a critical analysis mm. after the game. Because they get fined, don't yeah, they? Yeah, this is the thing. I'd ra- I, I mean, even though they're earning ridiculous amounts of money, I still wouldn't want to be losing... Fifty thousand pounds of my own money just for saying a sentence about a referee's performance. So it's worth just not saying anything at all, and that's why they have to kind of go with this subliminal angle, passive aggressive angle to try and get across that they're not happy with the performance. I don't really know how it works in terms of. I don't know if managers give their analysis after games or comments after games. I don't know how critical the guys above the referees um, at the FA or whatever the kind of refereeing organisation I don't know if they're doing these kind of analysis of the referees but clearly not because it's been going on for quite a while now and the fact that VAR has been brought into a system you would think that even after that it would it would improve and take the pressure off and yet we're still in a position where they're in the spotlight again which shouldn't be the case because I remember when VAR first was brought in I think it was the one of the World Cups and where they trialled it and it worked completely seamlessly where the referees they were like ghosts on the pitch you didn't even hear or see yeah, of them because it was it just was 2018 World Cup yeah, 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 yeah that was the one and I remember it worked apps like clockwork and in every other European country that uses it as well it works 
perfectly well. The only difference is that typically England has to do things differently and they use VAR a little bit differently. And of course, we have the worst difficulties compared to everyone else. And I think that's a major factor in it. They just don't like taking other countries' um, strengths. They try to make it their own and it just never seems to work. But I think referees are entitled to have a little bit of criticism. Obviously not over the top where it's a little bit, um, yeah, you don't want people following them home. Yeah, of course. That yeah, that's like a that. bit that's a bit you strange. Know. But I mean, I, I feel uh, like, death threats I, I feel on social media. They can entitled, definitely get in the bin. I feel as though they're perfectly entitled to say they're not happy with the performance of the referee. But again, I can understand the opposite side, like you like you say, Niall, which is that the repercussions can be you know fans then jumping on the referees and their outside life being affected. So I can understand both sides, but. I don't like the fact that they have to be censored about criticising a performance because yeah. it's been one too many, way too many. I think there was one there was one amateur referee on social media in the last couple of weeks who um, basically retweeted a clip of him giving an offside, which was not offside. And he just commented saying, I've had an absolute stinker here, lads. And actually it was met with quite a refreshing response from a lot of people on social media because I think we do forget that a lot of the time referees are just human beings and they don't want to make mistakes. The last thing they want is to be the subject of a post-match press conference. But it's not their fault that maybe they're just not quite up to scratch. And I've watched a lot of European football this season, actually, at different levels, Champions League and Europa League and even some other sort of European leagues as well. And a lot of the time, when English teams are involved and the European referee is the man taking charge of the game, there's a lot of complaints about the way that the game is refereed. So we complain about English referees. We also complain about European referees. I mean, what's the outcome here? What's what's the what's the solution? What's the, the fix? Um, I think you're always going to get um, a shoddy standard of refereeing if things don't go your way. But I can understand why John Moss's performance was questioned. In the end, Liverpool's quality shined through. They ended up beating Villa 2-1 and put the pressure back on Manchester City. And that's where we're going to focus now as City travel to Molyneux tonight to take on Wolverhampton Wanderers. Matt, we've already heard your thoughts about Erling Haaland. You're actually heading down to the West Midlands tonight to take this game in. Um, what's the feeling amongst the City fans generally? Is it confidence? I guess even more so after yesterday's announcement. It's similar to Newcastle on Sunday. There's a little bit of nerves in there because we know, even though we've got you know three goals advantage in the uh, the goal difference, we we still can't afford to slip up. And going to Molyneux is a tough place to go. Wolves are fighting for European football next season. Let's not forget about that. And they've got players that can hurt you. You know, like um, Neto, like um, Jimenez, like Neves, and Trincao can come off the bench and do things like we've seen against Chelsea. So this is not, uh, you know, as straightforward as everyone's making out tonight. City have got injuries as well. Ruben Diaz, Kyle Walker, John Stones out for the season. So Fernandinho's probably going to come in and um, slot in there tonight at the uh, the right side of centre-half. And obviously I love Fernandinho to bits, but he's 37 years old. And obviously he's playing centre-half, so he doesn't have to do as much running as he would do in the midfield. But sometimes that can just, it can just hinder you a little bit. Sometimes you can just get beat by the younger player, the more intelligent player. So City have just got to be bang at it tonight like they were against Newcastle. They've, they've got, if if they create early chances, they've got to put them to bed. They have to put them to bed. And we might swap it up tonight. Um, Jesus might not start. We might start with um, different players up front or we might stick with the same 11. It's very rare that he does that, but we shall see. Um, I'd like Bernardo Silva in the midfield tonight. We need his industry and we need his quality in midfield. Um, Gundogan was great against Newcastle, but I feel like we just need a little bit more legs tonight in there. Um, yeah, it's just as simple as, as that, really. Must win tonight. Must not make it difficult for ourselves. 
we've got to put the game to bed if we get the chance early on. And um, yeah, just just not do not do anything silly. Just keep it simple and play our game, and I think we'll be okay. Yeah, I think the quality of Manchester City should see them pass Wolves, but we say that a lot about both Liverpool and City. Joel, um, whoever they come up against, we always say that those two teams are the best teams in the league and they should beat whoever they come up against. On this occasion for City, it's Wolves and they shouldn't be taken lightly really because they were 2-0 down against Chelsea in their last game. They conceded two goals in two minutes in the second half and then you know, with a 11 minutes to go, they got an, they got one back and then Connor Cody in the 97th minute pegged Chelsea back to 2-2. So they took some points off of a side who are going to finish in the Champions League places this season. They're currently 8th. They are 5 points back from West Ham in 7th. So European football is still on the table. Their season isn't dead yet. Um, but City, you think, will be too strong even though Wolves have got plenty to play for. Well, as we've seen yesterday when... Aston Villa played Liverpool. That was probably one of Liverpool's toughest games of the season. And Aston Villa have got absolutely nothing to play for. And if I'm if I'm honest, in my personal opinion, I thought Gerrard was probably going to throw that game. Um, but it seems <laughs> as though that he put up a little bit of a decent fight. So I have to give his team. Credit I thought he was going to start in midfield. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't have minded that. But yeah, I, I thought it would have been way easier for Liverpool, and it turned out to be one of the most toughest games they've had this season um, against a team who have nothing to play for. So when you look at tonight, you've got Wolves, who are a team who have maybe a little bit of something to play for this season if the cards fall in their favour but I mean after that Real Madrid game I I just knew I feel like it was confirmed that City would then go on to win the league because Guardiola would have demanded a reaction following that because that was an absolutely devastating way to go out of the Champions League because I think they were probably the favourites going into that game as in the favourites of the tournament and to go out in that manner I think would have completely incensed him after that game to the point where I just don't think it's possible for them to drop the league now. Um, but like we say, all these teams who you feel as though will probably throw the games because there's not enough motivation or there's not enough uh, incentive to go and win it, it's complete nonsense because every single team, I think every fan as well of those teams enjoys being the spoiler of a party especially if you I'm sure you remember Matt when Sunderland played United in 2012 um, they had yeah. absolutely nothing to play for and yet they mm. were completely yeah I don't even want to go into that it gives me PTSD but we all know well, it's 10 years ago <laughs> this season isn't it but I mean it's eerily similar I think to what we saw 10 years ago I think you know with uh, I think City are away at West Ham on the final day are they so no, we're at home against Villa on the final day. We've got West Ham on Sunday. Okay. And you can bet your life on Villa going for that at the Etihad on the final day. And that's pure. Stop Jack Grealish from lifting the Premier League. Isn't that motivation <laughs> enough for them? I mean, they might end up throwing that as well. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. I mean, ever since you mentioned Steven Gerrard in midfield, Joel, all I can think about is imagine if he slipped up and Sadio Mane ran through to score a la Denver Bar all those years ago. Um, but that's what makes the Premier League exciting. It really is. Wolves against Manchester City tonight. Enjoy the game. Matt, um, Wolverhampton Wanderers, of course, can still finish in Europe. As for Man City, they need to make sure that they apply pressure back to Liverpool after the Reds went level on points with them. City still top the table, though, by goal difference at the moment. Still more Premier League football to talk about on today's episode of Football Social Daily, including Leeds' massive game at the bottom against Chelsea. We'll talk about that next after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast from Sport Social. Every single day of the season, a brand new episode for you. And by my count, I think it's only 11 days to go until the end of the campaign. So thank you if you've been with us throughout the whole season. We really appreciate your support. Everyone who sent a message on social media or left a review on Apple Podcasts or even just dipped in and out of the podcasts here and there. We really appreciate your support. And uh, we also appreciate your votes in the Sports Podcast Awards recently, which uh, enabled us to win a prize for the best news and current affairs podcast so thanks for sticking with us and if you are new to football social daily this is your first time listening welcome along we do this every day of the season taking in all of the premier league news views and opinions so why not hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode again lots to still get stuck into on today's show including leeds against chelsea which takes place tonight at ellen road and jesse marsh's side absolutely desperate for points i've got joel and matt alongside me joel leeds are in the bottom three and Chelsea had a little bit of a wobble against Wolves. Do you think this is their best hope of picking up some points considering the recent fixture run they've had? Yeah, Chelsea aren't in the best run of form at the moment, especially ahead of a FA Cup final with Liverpool this weekend. I think they've only won one game in the last five, which is putting them a little bit in danger of their third place uh, position at the moment, which seems to be completely confirmed. They were a good 10 points clear uh, two months ago, and now suddenly you've got Arsenal and Tottenham right on the shoulder. But I think it is probably, apart from Manchester United, the best team you can play right now. Um, just in terms of the fact, well, well, even with Leeds, it's quite surprising. Sometimes I'm thinking to myself, would Marcelo Bielsa have still been a better choice had they just kept with him and just stuck it out until the end of the season? Because even when you look at Jesse Marsh right now, prior to the last two games, which I know they've lost both back-to-back, he had, he wasn't his team wasn't in a really bad run of form. They've gone undefeated in their six games. It was just the the mere fact that Burnley had suddenly gone onto another level with Michael Jackson, and that's just... <laughs> Is an, is is what happens at this stage, <laughs> and I love saying that Michael Jackson. I never get. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> when you see MJ, just I thought this is the time for him to prove if he's king of the drop or not. So you got to just uh, <laughs> king of beating the we, drop. We could go all day. <laughs> we could go all day. With we could these be ones. here with puns all day. Innit? <laughs> I mean, but look at Leeds' results. So they've got Chelsea tonight, but. You know, they had a man sent off against Arsenal on Sunday, lost 2-1. Then they had Matt's mob, Man City, on the Saturday before that, where they lost 4-0. They drew 0-0 against Crystal Palace. They beat Watford 3-0, which is big in the context of the relegation battle. They beat Wolves. They drew with Southampton. They beat Norwich. They lost... I mean, we're going all the way back into March here. So, actually, since uh, Jesse Marsh has come in... They've done all right in the games you'd expect them to do all right in. But when you've got a fixture trio of City, Arsenal and Chelsea... um, that is obviously going to be difficult. Yes, and all the three teams that you mentioned, they've all got massive amounts to play for still um, in terms of the Arsenal game and the Manchester City game. I mean, one's fighting for a title where one slip-up could literally cost the season. And again, with Arsenal, it's pretty much the same scenario. Um, Chelsea, on the other hand, are ones which I feel like they're a little bit of an injured gazelle at the moment where they can be definitely got at compared to the other few clubs. And even when you think about the fact that this weekend, the FA Cup final, that's pretty much the silver lining of their season, where regardless of what happens in the league, it does seem like a kind of sure fit that they'll finish top four. I'm sure Tuchel have all eyes on that as well. Um, And to be honest, Leeds at home against Chelsea is probably one of the better 
uh, fixtures to have. They've got Brighton next after that, and then they've got Brentford away. I mean, Brighton, they're looking like um, the 80s Brazil at the moment, so you can't really put your cards <laughs> against them. Um, and then you've got Brentford as well, who are looking quite good. So, yeah, it's, it, there's no easy games when it comes to the last three games of the season. As we've seen in so many different Premier League seasons, you saw Liverpool completely dismantle when they could have won it in what was it 2014 when they had the title literally in the hand anything can happen especially at the bottom of the table it just depends on Burnley literally therefore and Everton sorry because they've got a game in hand so honestly the pendulum I think will swing constantly until it gets to the final day because the both all three teams I think are going to be very much within uh, touching distance of each other. Yeah, Mark Kukurea is running around for Brighton like prime Ivan Campo, giving me Bolton vibes <laughs> from back in the day. Um, but certainly Leeds, uh, it would be massively damaging for them if they went down again after just two seasons back in the Premier League, Matt. If they do go down, which at the moment they are third bottom, so they're at massive risk of doing so, where will the finger be pointed? Where will the blame be placed if it does happen? Does it go to... Maybe a lack of investment? Does it go to Bielsa for being a bit stubborn with his style? I mean, let's just say the unthinkable, which isn't unthinkable at the moment, but certainly the the dread uh, of relegation does happen for Leeds. What's what's the, the reason for that? I don't think you can point a finger at anyone in particular. Injuries really haven't helped them. When you miss players like Patrick Bamford, who scored so many goals for them in their first season back for like 14 years, and when you're missing players like Calvin Phillips, who had the Euros that he did, and they've had other injuries in other areas as well. So that's a massive blow to a squad like Leeds who don't have the biggest squad in the world. They can't boast a squad like a Liverpool or a City. They're operating pretty much on a bare bones 11 and they've got you know um, players like Joel Geldhart that can come off the bench. But they haven't got any sort of like real quality that can come and help. I mean, Rafinha has been one of their best players, if not their best player this season. And he needs players around him that are going to help him. And missing players like Bamford and Phillips, that is going to have a massive detrimental effect on on a season for Leeds so you can't really point a finger at anyone in particular Bielsa is who he is he's never going to change his style for anyone or anything let's let's just put that out there right now We he's got the reputation he has for a reason El Loco we all know that he's crazy and his football's his, <laughs> his football's crazy and it was refreshing for a while wasn't it in the first season you know there was just there was covering more distance than pretty much any other team really in terms of the running miles um, and it, it, it was it worked in the first season, but the second season syndrome, we've seen it happen with other teams in the past that have come up and done well. We've seen it with Sheffield United, didn't we? Under Chrissy Wilder, with they was playing yeah. with the overlapping centre-halves and the season after, it, it fell, got found out. got found out. So sometimes you have to adapt, but people like Bielsa aren't ever going to do that because they're stubborn and they're set within the ways. And fair play to Jesse March coming in in a situation the way it was. I mean, like you were saying, the four games, they went unbeaten. You know, against Wolves and against Norwich, so it was. It, it, he's come in and he's sort of like steadied the ship. He's made them a little bit more solid, a little bit more compact, a little bit more sort of difficult to beat in that respect. I know we went and scored four against them, but it wasn't as easy as everyone made out. The scoreline sort of flattered City towards the end. We had a couple of chances towards the end, and it, they just fell out. I think we scored from a couple of set pieces as well, from a free kick and from a corner. So. You can't really blame too much on anyone in particular. Leeds, they have invested, but they can't really um, sort of like, you know, it's legislate for injuries to, to Bamford and to and to Phillips and, to, and Stuart Dallas recently as well. So these are some things that just happen throughout a season that are just purely just based on luck. <laughs> and Leeds haven't had the rub of the green this season, but, you know, 
if they do go down, I don't think it'll take another 14 years or so for them to come back up. Um, they've got a good squad there. They've got a good manager there that's got experience. So if they do go down, it's not the end of the world for Leeds. And I think we'll we'll, we'll uh, we'd see them back up in, you know, one to two years at least. Well, they're currently 18th in the Premier League standings. Below that fabled dotted line, they'll need to make sure they get above it and drag Burnley or Everton back. We'll talk about Everton shortly, but their opponents tonight, Leeds, are Chelsea. And Thomas Tuchel said something interesting in his press conference, Joel, something that I absolutely disagree with, by the way. He said that um, no club has had to deal in the Premier League with what Chelsea have. Well, maybe this season he's got a point, but certainly not over the course of history. There are many clubs who have been Premier League teams and indeed not Premier League teams that have had to deal with issues off of the playing field. So I don't really know what he's looking for there. If he's looking for a sympathy vote, Thomas Tuchel, he certainly isn't getting it from me. Yeah, I'm assuming he's talking about this season in comparison to other clubs you would expect. Um, And of course, I'm sure the off the field situation hasn't helped them but like you say it's hard to have sympathy for a multi-billion pound organization which has a star-studded team they've only just recently signed a hundred million pound striker they're on the back of a european trophy they're in the fa cup final this weekend i mean i don't really see yeah i i I can understand his angle completely because the top four none of the sides has had you know their own and mixed in with the Russian invasion and all the kind of different things that have come around it. Of course, it's going to be a very big distraction, but I mean, the professional footballers at the end of the day, and I'm sure in the first few weeks, it has been a distraction. I'm sure the fact that a few of the defenders have not really wanted to sign new contracts being Antonio Rudiger and uh, Christensen, mainly probably because of the uncertainty in the future. Of course, that's not easy to deal with, but they're all professionals at the end of the day, and they're still... I think they're doing as well as they could be. I don't know if it's a kind of guise to hide, I think, what has been a pretty disappointing season for them. I still maintain, regardless, that they should have been challenging for the title this season. Um, I think that's been pretty much pushed under the carpet, considering the fact that they should have, I think, progressed after that European trophy. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's not a case of just trying to, you know, be the victim in, in all of this because, yeah, it's been a tough season, but they've still got the tools and the, the players to actually still fight for trophies. And as we've seen this, this weekend, they've still got a chance to have a silver lining on the season, really. Uh, but I can have some sympathy with him in the fact that they literally cannot prepare for next season at the moment. And that's just facts. Um, and that is that must be a difficult situation to be in because he's losing players. Um purely due to uncertainty and he can't even plan ahead because they don't know what the consortium's going to give them in terms of a budget so he his hands are tied and that's where I do have sympathy for him in terms of a competitive standpoint um, considering how difficult it is in the league at the moment Well we don't even know if Chelsea are going to be in the league next season and I said this at the time when Abramovich was sanctioned I said this could be the end of Chelsea as you know it not in terms of the club going bust but in terms of then competing at the top for for honours, you know, for Premier League titles, for for trophies, for Champions Leagues, etc. And at the time, it was said that Roman Abramovich wasn't going to ask for his money back. The sort of one and a half billion pound loan that he's handed Chelsea said he did it out of the goodness of his own heart, for want of a better term. And um, I'm paraphrasing here, of course, and that he didn't want the money back. Well, now it looks like he might have done a U-turn on that. And whether that changes things when it comes to Chelsea's ownership next season, who knows? We still don't actually know what is going on at Stamford Bridge. Um, Any massive updates on Chelsea will bring them to you, of course. But I'm sure if you're a blue listening in, you'll have a much better grasp 
on things when it comes to the ownership saga than, than we do. Um, but Thomas Tuchel has actually kind of frustrated some of the players, I think, because he cancelled their day off. They were supposed to have a day off um, after the Wolves game. And he said, no, you're coming in because of the way that they kind of capitulated in that game. So um, allegedly he's held some clear the air talks as well. Apparently he had a bit of a bust up with Marcus Alonso. Rudiger's leaving. So it does feel like it's starting to fray a little bit at Chelsea. But you'd understand that, wouldn't you, with the way things have gone? I was just going to say, I was going to say now, like, can can you imagine, uh, you know, when you've just said that, I don't know if it's confirmed or not, I think Chelsea released a statement about Abramovich kind of dismissing the fact that he, he wanted the 1.5 billion loan to be repaid back, but I've still got friends who chase me up on subs for a five aside. Imagine having to <laughs> just cancel a 1.5 billion pound settlement just because you can. I mean, that's quite crazy, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know how much money you've racked up in unpaid five-a-side subs. <laughs> Close job, to that much. Yeah, Close maybe it is much. about 1.5 billion. Anyway, Chelsea <laughs> travel to Leeds tonight with Leeds desperate for the points. Right, Watford against Everton. Another huge game at the bottom of the Premier League table. We'll talk about it after this on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. Everton take on Watford tonight at Vicarage Road. The Hornets are already down. Do you think that makes them more dangerous to Everton in a way tonight, Matt? Because Everton obviously desperate for points, but Watford, even though they're already down, it'll be a home game and I suppose they can play with a a bit more relaxation than they normally would. Yeah, these kind of games, obviously on paper you think, oh, well, They've got nothing to play for, so, you know, are they going to even bother turning up properly? But they can play with the freedom. There's no stress on them. There's no pressure on them. So they can play with the freedom and relaxation, like you said. And Everton, obviously, fighting for their lives. They've had two massive results in the last two games, beating Leicester, beating Chelsea. So they're on a they're on a high. But these games can be banana skins. They can be. I've seen it happen in the past many a times. People think it's just going to be a walkover for the team that have got something to fight for rather than the team who haven't. But these these teams like Watford, like like, like I just said at the start, nothing to play for, no pressure. Just go out and enjoy yourselves, lads. That's what Hodgson will be telling them. Just go out and enjoy yourselves and give you know the the crowd at Vicarage Road something to you know positive to remember them by in the Premier League, and then we'll go again next season in the Championship. Everton have just got to be very careful tonight. They've just got to do what they've done in the last two league games. They've just got to work hard. They've got to be persistent and not panic. If you know they go one nil down, or if say the drawing with so many minutes to go, they've just got to keep their heads and they've just got to stay positive. Lampard doesn't really do need to do much of a team talk tonight. He doesn't. All he needs to do is just tell the lads to go out and be the same as in the Chelsea game, in the Leicester game. Play with personality, and play with play with desire, and play with no fear. Just go in and do your jobs. And you know it's it's a, a massive couple of weeks now for Everton and Lampard's managerial sort of like. Um, status at the moment sort of hinges on these next two games because if and this is the unthinkable for Everton fans if they do go down what happens next you know there's going to be a major reshuffle with the squad they're going to lose a number of players people are going to want out um, and is Lampard going to want to stick around to get Everton back up from the championship I mean he's already had experience in the championship with Derby Counter and he got them to the playoffs Um, but maybe he doesn't want to go back down there and do that again because we all know how notoriously difficult the championship is to get out of and is he going to want to stick around with Everton and be that club that you know have been up in the Premier League for so long I can't remember the last time they ever 
ever been relegated Everton um, they've been in the top division for so many number of years along with Arsenal so if they lose that status Frank Lampard's going to be absolutely devastated the fans are going to be devastated the players are going to be devastated but I think tonight they're just gonna. I, I, I think they'll they'll be okay tonight. I think Watford. Um, yeah, they're not. They're, they're not, rubbish. They're, yeah, they're not, yeah, yeah. In so many words, yeah, they're not. They're not great, are they? They're not, they've not got really sort of like much going for them right now. So I think it's a, a great game for Everton to go into tonight and off the back of two massive wins against Leicester and Chelsea. And I think they'll be okay tonight. I think they'll do the business. Yeah, so many questions if Everton do go down, but if they do drop, I think they'll come straight back to the cha- uh, to the Premier League at the first time of asking. I think they'll dominate that league. If they can keep some of the players that they've got, and a lot of them they will because if they're savvy with their contracts, I'm not actually sure about Everton's contract situation, but with the majority of the players they've got, um, even the ones that probably will move on, I think they'll have more than enough to come straight back up. But at the moment, they are out of the relegation zone and the Everton fans have been phenomenal on the road. There was a massive boost um, to their performance at Leicester at the weekend, Joel, because I think Everton took about 3,500 down to Leicester. The away end tonight, as you'd expect, at Vicarage Road is sold out and there's reports there could be Everton fans in the home end as well. Um, around six, 7,000 toffees dotted around the stadium. Now, when your backs are against the wall and your team needs something, supporters often will give everything. But these Everton fans are so desperate to see their side succeed in, in beating relegation. Um, they're even buying tickets in the home end by the sound of it. That's not actually allowed, by the way, as per Premier League rules, but there's, there's always a way around it. And fans will be fans. They'll always find a way to watch their team. If they can spur the team on and they win tonight against Watford, do you think that will be enough for them to to stay put in the Premier League? I, I still don't think it's enough just because of the fact that Leeds and Burnley, I wouldn't even be surprised if they end up winning back-to-back games in the next two games just because it gets desperate back down there when they have to produce a win. I remember saying on the podcast about three weeks ago that well, I think Burnley were on four wins when I said it, that they will probably end up doubling their wins and that's pretty much just testament to the fact that when players have something to play for and there's very little time it just reminds me of when you had to do your university deadlines suddenly in the last week everything becomes real whereas the three months before it you had so much time to actually start it and that just it reminds me of this kind of situation but you would think now that Everton have the kind of upper hand in this race with a game in hand going on 38 points, four points clear of Burnley and of Leeds, you would think that that would be enough because obviously then they would have to drop the final two games and Burnley and Leeds would probably have to win the final two out of three games. So you would think so, but I mean, I've, you've seen stranger things. Even when you look at that Leicester side prior to winning the title when they, yeah, when they were, um, stayed up with Nigel Pearson, they looked down and out in the final eight games and then suddenly... They just rose from the dead and completely went clear out of that relegation zone. So you would never know, but I do think they should have enough to stay up now. But this this game in hand is pretty much everything. It, I think it lies all on this game. Well, we will see Watford against Everton tonight. As I say, Watford already down. Everton still very much in the fight to stay up at the moment. A team who they beat at the weekend was Leicester against a team who are also already down. Norwich and that's the final game we're going to talk about that takes place this evening here on Football Social Daily. Leicester against Norwich is as dead rubber as they come Matt so I'm not going to spend too long on this one. I guess the question is what will both respective managers be looking for here? What will Brendan Rodgers be after from his side at home and what will Norwich and their boss Dean Smith be looking for tonight? 
just positive performances, I suggest. Um, Rogers will not want them to concede from a set piece, I'm sure, because that's been their Achilles heel this season, as you know, Niall, from watching them. Um, they've, um, they've they've obviously gone out the Conference League to Rome, a massive disappointment to them. Um, got beat off at Everton at the weekend, another massive disappointment to them. And the season's kind of petered out because you know, the last couple of seasons they've been fighting for Champions Leagues, Europa Leagues and winning FA Cups. So it's a little bit of a reality check now for Leicester and I think the uh, the owner um, will reinvest in the summer. They need fresh new players in the squad. They need to sort of like just redo things now, maybe have a little bit of a different setup next season. Um, talk of Leicester fans wanting Rodgers out. Personally, I can't see why they'd want that because of what he's done over the last couple of seasons for them. But... There's certain managers available out there in Europe that play a certain brand of football um, that is very, very progressive and very positive. So maybe they just they want a change. They just feel like that Rodgers has took them as far as he can now, and you know it's time for a change and it's on to pastures new. And as for Norwich, you know Dean Smith, very unlucky with the situation he got landed in. Sat from his his boyhood club Aston Villa and you know thrown into Norwich City, typical yo-yo Premier League team. Um, going back down to the championship next season, they're used to this kind of thing. Um, what they'll want tonight is just basically just go out and try and just get something positive out of the game, try and give the fans a little bit of something to, to cheer about because they got smacked by West Ham, didn't they, over the weekend, 4-0 at home. Um, they won't want that to happen again. Um, yeah, so it's like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a dead rubber, but I fancy Leicester to um, to come out on top and just to um, give the fans to something to you know be happy about at least and... Both teams will be just wanting to next season to start now. They can't come quick enough for them both. Yeah, what about you, Joel? Because Matt's right. There have been a few rumblings on social media about Brendan Rodgers maybe making way as the Leicester manager. But actually, his achievements with Leicester have been quite good. If you consider where the club are and the size of the club and what they've achieved. Yes, they've set a high bar for themselves by winning the title. They won the FA Cup, of course, under Rodgers. The Community Shield under Rodgers two fifth-place finishes under Rodgers. Um, you'll always get people that's... And obviously, they've just reached a European semi-final as well when they lost to Roma last week. So you will get people that say Rodgers is a bottle job because he couldn't see the job through to the final because he finished fifth twice. But you'll also get the people on the other side of the coin that say Brendan Rodgers has done a great job in even getting Leicester to where they are. So what's your take on that situation? I don't think the noise is deafening, by the way. I just think it's a few rumblings of fans on social media that want to see him gone. But But what's your take on it? I think that they're just a victim of their own success, aren't they? Um, Prior to that winning the Premier League, you would never have... I think Leicester fans would have taken anything you would have given them in terms of success. And the fact that in the last two seasons, they've been so close to just getting into the Champions League places. Of course, now that past of struggling in the Championship and struggling to stay up in the Premier League, that's just a distant memory now. They pretty much solidified themselves as a very established Premier League club and they've deserved it as well to win two of the biggest titles you can win in England is absolutely beyond respectable considering a lot of clubs like you look at Tottenham for example they've not touched any of that in absolute decades so Leicester of course I think that they're in and around they're basically a a top six top seven side regardless of where they finish now Um, and I think Brendan Rodgers has definitely elevated that especially after the FA Cup win Um, and purely due to their recruitment and the fact that they're actually able to keep a hold of some of their good players. It's not like they have to be cherry-picked every single summer 
unless you know a ridiculous offer comes in and they're able they have to let go I mean they've still kept hold of indeed like 80, 80 million for Harry Maguire yeah we don't talk about that these days um, <laughs> <laughs> we basically paid for their training ground um, but yeah I mean you've got still Fafana he'll probably want to stay there for a good amount of time and you've got Ndidi who's not really guaranteed to leave and this is that's the signs of a club who are becoming established but you have to continue maintaining the position in the league and right now I think the 14th of course, the middle ground of the, the league is a little bit on a knife point. It's a little bit strange because three points can literally take you right up to 10th place. So it's not really too much to pay attention to. But like you say, now they've, you know, they've got a semi-final of a European competition. Granted, it's not the best competition. It's the third tier, but it's a trophy at the end of the day. And like Jose Marino, when you saw him celebrate the way he did uh, and the way he talks about it, he respects every single trophy because they don't come along often. And the big days, not only for the team, but the fans as well. So you have to respect that. And you'll have seasons of dips as well, like they're having now. But I think they do need a bit of a rebuild too. Of course, like coming off the transition of Jamie Vardy, pretty much carrying the forward line for a good amount of seasons. Um, I think they do need to push on a little bit and they'll lose Telemann soon. So... There's a big change, I think, coming up. But to say that you have to sack him, I mean, if they sacked him, I feel like they would end up going down an absolute downward spiral in terms of manager after manager not finding the right person. And it would just, I, I think it would all end in tears. So they need to stick with him and keep building again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Leicester against Norwich is the final Premier League game we're going to talk about on today's show. There is another massive one tomorrow night. Thursday evening sees a North London derby and two sides vying for a Champions League position. Tottenham Hotspur against Arsenal. We'll talk about that, of course, on tomorrow's podcast. But for today, that is it. Thank you very much, Matt. Enjoy tonight's game at Molyneux. And thank you very nice much, one, Joel, who I'm sure won't <laughs> by the, if things go the way we're expecting. Um, don't forget, if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode of this podcast again. Only 11 days of the season to go we'll be with you every step of the way we'll see you again tomorrow football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode